The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, but there is no Chris Townsend, at least for today. Tani will be back during the homestand. As the A's opening up play to start the second half tonight, the Chicago White Sox opening a three-game set on an absolutely spectacular, just gorgeous day at the Coliseum. Roxy Bernstein in for Uncle Tony, who will be back on Sunday, and he'll be back on A's cast next Tuesday after the off day Monday when the Mariners come to town. For the homestand continues with Seattle, so a five-game homestand to kick off the second half, which begins tonight here at the Coliseum. First pitch, 7:07. It'll be Mike Fires going for the A's and Ivan Nova making the start for the White Sox as Chicago comes in two games below 500. And the A's, after taking two out of three from Seattle to end the first half, and the Athletics are now nine games over 500, starting the second half and picked up a little ga- uh, little room on the Astros last night as Houston losing their second half opener. In fact, that was the only game played in the major leagues yesterday as the Astros were in Texas taking on the Rangers and a dominating performance from Lance Lynn. The right-hander struck out 11 over seven scoreless innings, 5-0. The Rangers knocked off Houston last night and a four-run first for Texas as Framber Valdez made the start for the Astros. He couldn't even get out of the first inning last night. He was dreadful. For Houston, went two-thirds of an inning. They had to chew up their bullpen on the first game after the All-Star break. Although Cy Sneed was able to gobble up five innings out of the bullpen. Yes, the household name that is Cy Sneed was the guy that saved the bullpen for the Astros last night. So 5 nothing. So with the win for Texas last night, the Rangers right on the heels of the A's. But you look at the standings in the AOS right now, and Houston on top as they have a seven-game lead on the Athletics, 57-34 and for the Astros. The A's are 50-41, and nine over starting the second half tonight. And then Texas just a game behind, 49-42. and 42. The surprising Rangers have been a really good story so far this season with Chris Woodward, the rookie manager, and uh, a little bit of a new philosophy, new look from the Rangers, and they're playing some good ball. And that four-game series continues tonight. They'll start in about an hour from now where it'll be nice and sweltering at Globe Life Park and could not wait to get out of there. I was there for the game last night. First pitch last night, by the way, in Arlington, Texas. The high for a night game this season in Arlington, Texas, 95 degrees. And at least it wasn't humid. Oh, no, it was. And it was a little tough last night, but, hey, you got the second half going last night and a 5 to nothing win for Texas, so that series continues. But the A's have been off since winning two out of three for the Mariners this past weekend to close out play in the first half as the A's got to 50 wins. 
before the break and looking to kick off the second half and keep it going. The momentum they had as the A's finished the first half strong. When you look at what they have done, and the A's have won seven of their last nine. Now 14-5 and five for the Athletics over the last 19 games. They've won each of the last four series. They're unbeaten over the last six series. And since they were swept by the Astros in late May, early June, the A's have gone 21-11, and 11, which is the second-best record in the American League behind the Indians who've gotten red hot. And that's the fourth-best total in baseball. And it's funny, you go back about a month ago, and you thought that the Minnesota Twins were just going to run away with the American League Central, that the, that the division was done. Well, Cleveland has gotten hot, and they put some pressure, and it makes it interesting heading toward the trade deadline with Trevor Bauer's situation with the Indians because his contract is up. He can walk as an unrestricted free agent. But the way that Terry Francona's team has responded here, the way the offense has gotten hot, all of a sudden you're right back in the thick of things. And maybe you were you were a seller at one point. Now I don't know if you're a seller. I don't know if you're going to be a buyer if you're the Indians, but it certainly makes a little bit more difficult for Cleveland heading toward the deadline as you look at that race in the Central and the Indians, who won six straight to close out the first half. The Indians are now five and a half behind Minnesota, who struggled a bit, and we saw them here, and the A's took two out of three from the Twins. And so that race has become the most competitive, at least in terms of how close the second-place team is to the first-place team in the division. The White Sox are in third in the Central. They're 12 and a half back, two games under. But a seven-game lead for Houston coming into play tonight. Minnesota five and a half over Cleveland. And the Yankees had the six and a half over Tampa Bay starting the second half. And the Red Sox, who've won four straight, are nine games behind the Yankees. But you look at the standings in the wild, in the divisions and the way it's setting up. But the wild card race is really interesting in the American League. Not as jumbled up. It's a little bit more clear in terms of the picture in the AL than the National League. But in the American League, and the way this wild card race is going to shape up, we have a little bit of separation where you have the two teams that are on top in the wild card chase in the national or in the American League rather you look at Tampa Bay a half game up on Cleveland the Indians holding down the second spot in the wild card the A's a game and a half back in the wild card heading into the second half tonight and I guarantee you though Bob Melvin's not even thinking about wild card yet at this point he's thinking about okay we're seven games back how do we catch the Houston Astros but the A's a game and a half behind the Indians Boston's two back the Rangers, with their win last night, they're two and a half behind the wild card. And then you have that separation with the Angels and a bunch of teams behind them, including the White Sox. Chicago is seven games out in the wild card, but again, two games below 500. Coming into the opener of a three-game set tonight between the A's and the White Sox, it'll be Mike Fires, 8-3, and three, and he's pitched tremendously recently for the A's. He'll go against Ivan Nova going for the White Sox. And the A's looks like they're going to catch a break in this series. As tomorrow, a starter yet to be announced for the White Sox. It'll be Chris Bassett going for the A's in Game 2. Remember, it's a day game here at the Coliseum tomorrow. A 107 first pitch. Then, of course, all the action you can hear it on the A's radio network at the flagship station, 860 in San Francisco, as well as right here on the TuneIn app and A's cast. And then Sunday, wrapping up this series with the White Sox before an off day on Monday, it'll be Brett Anderson going for the A's, and he's pitched wonderfully for the A's. 9-5 and five and a 3.86 ERA. Ronaldo Lopez going for the White Sox to close out this series and then off day Monday before the Mariners come to town to open up a brief two-game series. But there was a lot of buzz during the All-Star break. After the A's wrapped it up and the way the wild card, or wild card, the All-Star game went, and it wasn't just the All-Star game itself. The All-Star game was a terrific baseball game. 
really well played, some good pitching, some good drama late in the game when Brad Hand worked out of that bases-loaded situation in the eighth inning, and he had some drama there, and he had to roll his Chapman striking out the side in the ninth to get the save. But certainly what stole the show was the home run derby, and what an event that was last Monday night. It's unfortunate that Matt Chapman came out on the losing end to Vladimir Guerrero in the first round as Vlad Jr. just went off, as you know. He had 91, 91 home runs during the course of the home run derby, and that is a Major League Baseball record now for a home run derby. But then he loses in the final to Pete Alonso, and Alonso, I think, caught a break because that long heavyweight battle in the semis that Guerrero, that Vlad Jr. had with Jock Peterson. And it was funny when you saw Jock Peterson getting interviewed right after by Buster Olney on ESPN. And he basically said, I'm toast. I got nothing left. It's a good thing Vlad Jr. won because I got nothing. And then they go to the championship round, and it was amazing that Vlad Jr. was still able to pump out home runs like he was. But Pete Alonso, the winner, and it was great to see so many young stars part of the mix as far as the home run derby and the all-star game. And we're right now at a great spot for Major League Baseball with all these young stars and, of course, right front and center with all the young stars in the game. Certainly is the A's Matt Chapman that he was in the home run derby, performed admirably, although he lost by a wide margin, but that was because Vlad Jr. hit 29 home runs in the opening round. Then played in the all-star game as well. And did you happen to catch the distance for the the total number of home runs that were hit? You had nearly 25 miles of home runs that were hit during the home run derby. That's like a marathon, right? The marathon's what, 26-2? Is that what a marathon is? And so you had 24.8 miles of home runs that were hit in the home run derby last Monday night. Well, coming up on Ace Cast today, I want to catch you up on what's going to happen on the show. We're going to have the voice, the TV voice of the Chicago White Sox. One of my colleagues from ESPN, Jason Benetti, will stop by. He'll be here in about 20 minutes. And by the way, yeah, I'm looking at my watch. See? Cody's laughing at me. You don't even have a watch on. He's looking at me. Okay, I should look at my cell phone then. Yeah, okay, 20 minutes from now, Jason Benetti, the TV voice of the White Sox, will stop by. Great guy, first off, terrific broadcaster, and I am, I, I'm going to get him to do a Sean McDonough imitation. You, you, most of you probably know who Sean McDonough is, longtime play-by-play voice, whether it's ESPN, he did Major League Baseball as a lead voice when CBS had the Major League package some years ago. It's moonlighting, doing some Red Sox games in addition to his college football work and college basketball work on ESPN. But Jason Benetti does an amazing spot-on Sean McDonough impersonation. Uh, It is lights out. So I'm going to make Jason Benetti do it. And also, Jason, we can swap war stories because he had the displeasure, if you will, of teaming with Bill Walton, which I get to do frequently. Just kidding. But he got to work with him last year so we could swap our war stories. And, of course, Bill couldn't remember his name. I, I know it's shocking that he kept calling him Justin, and his name's Jason. So Jason Benetti will stop by the show. Our buddy Vince Baseball, Vince Catronio, will come by in about, should I look at my watch again, Cody? In about uh, 35 minutes from now, Mike Aldretti, one of the A's coaches, will stop by. Liam Hendricks, the A's All-Star, who pitched in the All-Star game at three strikeouts in his inning of work. Uh, and his first All-Star experience, so we'll get what Cleveland was like for Liam Hendricks, as well as Justine Siegel, We'll stop by the show as well. She'll come by to close out the show at 540 here on A's Cast, and then we get you set for the ball game. Of course, we're all live from the treehouse at 605 with the pregame show, and then a 707 first pitch 
It'll be, again, Mike Fires going for the A's tonight. Ivan Nova making the start for the Chicago White Sox. But in for Chris Townsend on A's cast. Roxy Bernstein with you. And we've got a lot planned for you. We're going to get into the All-Star game, what happened, take a look at the races coming up as well. So much to get to. The second half is underway, and we're live on the field of the Coliseum with A's cast on the TuneIn app. Roxy Bernstein again in for Uncle Townie. A's baseball here on A's cast. Now back to A's cast live. A's cast live. A's cast live from the field here at the Coliseum. Roxy Bernstein in for Uncle Towney. A's open up the second half tonight. The Chicago White Sox are in town. And the A's will try to keep that momentum going as they won seven of their last nine prior to the break. 14 of their last 19. And the A's have won each of their last four series in opening a five-game homestand to start the second half tonight. Three with the White Sox. Off day Monday. And then the Seattle Mariners come to the Coliseum. It feels like they were just here, doesn't it? It, it? it seems like that's one of those teams that, oh, we're playing the Mariners again? So the A's were just in Seattle to close out the first half. And now they'll play the Mariners to wrap up this homestand. And it's a critical stretch for the A's. You look at the schedule right now, three with the White Sox, two with Seattle. Then you go to Minnesota, four against the Twins. And then three with Houston. So an interesting road trip before the A's come back Four with Texas starting July 25th. Milwaukee's here for three. And then the Cardinals visit for two on a nine-game homestand coming up for the A's once they return here to the Coliseum. Coming up again, Jason Benetti will join us in about 15 minutes, the TV voice of the Chicago White Sox. But the All-Star game certainly was the talk of the sporting world earlier this week with the great game that it was and it didn't have one of those pivotal, memorable moments in terms of a dramatic home run, or but it was a tight, well-played game. And it was under three hours, the All-Star game. It was, what, 2.45, Cody? Two hours, 45 minutes to play the All-Star game at Progressive Field uh, in Cleveland on Tuesday night. Good pitching, timely hitting, good defense. It was just a fun baseball game to watch. He had some drama late in the ball game. Just he wanted from an All-Star game. It was a great showcase moment for the commissioner, Rob Manfred, in the game. And, of course, the home run derby was what was celebrated, highlighted, I think, the two days, even though the game was a terrific ball game. From the festivities in Cleveland, all started last Sunday. You had the Futures game as well as the Celebrity Softball game that also took place, and which is always an interesting evening. And then, of course, every, all the All-Stars come to town after they finish up the first half on Sunday with the game, Home Run Derby Monday and a workout day, as well as the All-Star game on Tuesday. But one of the other great things about that Home Run Derby for Monday night, the average age of the participants in the Home Run Derby in the field, it's the youngest in history. With Vlad Jr. as the youngest ever individual performer in the contest, Vlad Jr., was 20 years of age and 114 days old. Pete Alonso is the fifth youngest winner in Derby history. He's 24 years of age, 213 days. Plus there was Ronald Acuna, 21 years and 203 days. And the kids are bringing the pop. And Matt Chapman's a young player himself. You look around at the field, and it was great to see it. Okay, you had the veteran Carlos Santana, but the home team had to be represented, right? You had to have a representation, and of course, 
the boos for Alonzo when he knocked out Santana in the home run derby. And it really was a tremendous event. And it made for great theater on television and just the blast after blast that Vlad Jr. was hitting. Some titanic shots. Hitting the scoreboard out there, clearing the bleachers in left center field. Kept waiting for balls to go out of there, especially down the left field corner, progressive field where he had just people packed to the gills down there with all the home runs that were hit. People just looking for a taste, trying to get a home run. But the five longest home runs that were hit, and Matt Chapman hit the second longest, by the way, and the fourth longest home run in the Derby, despite being eliminated in the first round. He hit 13. Matt Chapman hit a 477-foot blast, a 473-foot home run, and the other three in the top five all belong to Vlad Jr. Vlad Jr. hit the longest, 488 feet with one of his shots, 476, 472, and then Chapman again, 477 and 473, the home runs. There were 312 home runs hit total in the Der Derby, and that blew away the number from last year. Last year, you had 221 home runs, and this year, you have 312 home runs hit in the Derby. Vlad Jr., among the shots, 25 of his 91 traveled at least 440 feet. Think about that for a second. He had 25 home runs during the Derby of at least 440 feet, more than a third of the 74 across the eight-player field, and more than a quarter of his personal <laughs> 91 home runs in the Derby were 440-plus. Josh Bell entered the All-Star break leading the majors with seven 440-foot home runs during the regular season. And again, the average age, just over 25 for the home run derby participants, even with the veteran Carlos Santana bringing that number up. But and Josh Bell's another guy you got to talk about. In fact, I had a chance to talk to him. Fourth uh, of July, I did a ball game for ESPN Radio with Jim Bowden, the former GM, of course, of the Reds and the Nationals. And you see Jim Bowden everywhere. But Jim Bowden and I did the game on the 4th of July. And pregame that morning, we I did an interview with Josh Bell, had him on our pregame show on ESPN Radio. First off, what a terrific young guy he is. Just to talk to him and the genuine excitement that he had for what was coming, going to Cleveland and going to the All-Star game. And this is one of the young, dynamic stars that Major League Baseball, I think, needs to highlight and gravitate toward and really pushes one of the young stars in the game. Because Josh Bell has the it factor. On top of, what, 26 home runs that we start the second half for Josh Bell. But just a terrific guy that gets it and understands the role he is in and, and how he can really energize a fan base, not just in Pittsburgh, but when you have a young African-American star like Josh Bell, who's without question leader of the Pittsburgh Pirates in a city that's a proud city with a rich baseball tradition, I think that's a star that Major League Baseball needs to gravitate toward. And Josh Bell, it, going to the All-Star game, he was so excited. And, of course, when you're a first-time All-Star, you're worried about the family and bringing everybody to Cleveland and making sure they're situated with tickets and travel and hotel. And it is a lot on the plate of a young star. And that's something he'll figure out as the years go on. Okay, I'll get somebody to handle that for me. But Josh Bell is a, just a dynamic presence in the middle of the Pirates lineup. And Pittsburgh's playing well. You look over the National League and the Pirates, that whole National League Central in that division, 
You have all five teams in the National League Central separated by four and a half games. And the Pirates have played themselves into competition. The Cubs enter the second half, up a half game on the Brewers. The Cardinals are two back. The Pirates, who are a game under, with that great offense the Pirates have, and Clint Hurdle, their manager, they're two and a half games behind in the National League Central. And the Cincinnati Reds, the Reds, even though they're five under 500, Cincinnati's only four and a half back. So all five teams in the National League Central are separated by four and a half games. The Dodgers are running away with the National League West. The Diamondbacks, their closest competition, they're 13 and a half back coming into play tonight. The Padres, who are at 500, are 14 back. The Rockies, 14 and a half, they're a game under. And then the Giants, five and a half back in the wild card, but 17 and a half behind the Dodgers. It's funny. I was talking with Jim Bowden. We're doing the game last night in Texas. And you're going running through the wild card standings in the National League. And it is a log jam of teams. When you look at the wild card standings, right, you have the Nationals a half game up on the Phillies, who have the second wild card spot. The Brewers a half game back coming into play. The Diamondbacks a game and a half. The Padres, the Cardinals are two back. Two and a half for the Rockies. The Pirates are just three back in the wild card. The Reds are four and a half. And Cincinnati, even though they're five under, they're a plus 27 in the run differential. That goes to show you, you know what? There's something there with Cincinnati and the way they're pitching. And it's crazy because you're in such a hitter-friendly ballpark at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. But they're not hitting. So if Joey Votto's starting to hit it, their offense comes alive. Look out for Cincinnati. The way that young pitching staff is going, and Sonny Gray is having a great season for them, pitching really well, was named as an all-star replacement. They're four and a half back in the wild card. Then you have the Giants, five and a half back in the wild card of all those teams in the National League. But anybody who's watched the Giants knows they're not a contender. They're a pretender. Their run differential is a minus 70. And so I'm getting into a discussion with Jim Bowden last night in the broadcast about, all right, trade deadline. We're about three weeks away, and we have the hard trade deadline this year. It's not this year where you can get guys slip through waivers like the guys, the A's got Mike Fires last year. Right a couple of years ago when the Astros got Verlander to slip through the waiver wire and were able to make the trade after July 31st. There is no waiver trade deadline this year. It's a hard deadline July 31st. So no movement after that. And so we're going through the scenarios, and, I'm, and Jim Bowden is dialed in as anybody, former GM, and I ask him, we're going through the National League teams, and then I threw the Giants at him. He goes, before he can even finish the sentence about the Giants, no, no, they're not real. So he, he's not a believer, neither am I, considering they're a minus 70 and run differential, and all those teams that are in front of them in the National League. But the American League, it's a little bit more cut and dry, and the A's are right in the thick of things in the wild card. Again, coming into play tonight, they are seven games behind the Houston Astros in the division. We have action already, and one final in the books. The Pirates come up short. Sorry, Cody. 4-3, the Cubs over the Pirates at Wrigley this afternoon. Craig Kimbrell gets the save as Kyle Crick, speaking of the Giants, the former Giant, the loss. Uh, Starlin Marte homered for the Pirates, his 13th. Chris Bryant went deep, number 18 for the Cubs. And then going on over right now in the National League, the Nationals a 3-0 lead at Philadelphia. They're in the bottom half of the fourth at Citizens Bank Park, just underway in Miami. The Mets are at the Marlins. Also in the National League ballpark, the Giants are in Milwaukee. They'll start in about 45 minutes. The Diamondbacks are in St. Louis as Robbie Ray going for Arizona against Daniel Ponce de Leon going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Later on, it's the Reds in Colorado. 
and the Braves are in San Diego. Over in the American League side, just getting going, Tampa Bay is in Baltimore, and a touchdown for the Rays in the first inning. Tampa putting up a seven spot. Tommy Pham is homered his 14th of the year. Tampa Bay with eight hits in a seven-run first inning, and Tampa Bay is sending 11 guys to the plate in that first inning as it was a disastrous first not a good start to the second half for Dylan Bundy, who gave up seven runs on eight hits in his one inning, throwing 37 pitches in the first, and a seven-run first with the Orioles coming to bat right now. It is Yanni Chirinos going for Tampa Bay in that ballgame. Other games in American League yards, the Blue Jays underway there in the second at Yankee Stadium. Also, the Twins on the board in the first on a Nelson Cruz home run, leading the Indians 1-0. Coming up shortly, the Astros continue their series at Texas. It'll be Garrett Cole going for Houston tonight against former athletic Jesse Chavez making the start for the Texas Rangers. The Tigers are at Kansas City. Seattle's in Anaheim tonight. And, and also interleague play, the Red Sox underway. The Dodgers at Fenway Park as Maeda going for the L.A. Dodgers in that one against the Boston Red Sox just getting going at Fenway. And, of course, our ball game here at the Coliseum It'll be the White Sox and the A's kicking off the second half. Coming up next, the TV voice of the Chicago White Sox joins us here. A's cast live from the field of the Coliseum. Roxy Bernstein with you in for Uncle Townie. A's cast live on the Athletics TuneIn app. Broadcasting from the town, A's cast live continues. A's cast live from the field at the Coliseum. The second half opener tonight, the White Sox in town opening a five-game homestand for the A's. 7.05 first pitch on a gorgeous day at the Coliseum. Ivan Nova going for the White Sox. Mike Fires takes the ball for Bob Melvin and the Oakland Athletics. Again, first pitch at 7.07. Come on down to the Coliseum. It's going to be a great night. Great weekend of baseball with the Chicago White Sox in town as we welcome in the TV voice of the Chicago White Sox. Jason Benetti joins us. Good to see you, my friend. Roxy, it's great to see you. We uh, we don't cross paths enough. No, we don't. We are like in separate places. When we're doing games, you're here, I'm there, whether it's basketball season, whether it's baseball. But we did get to share little Billy from San Diego. Uh, How was your maiden voyage with the, the Bill Walton experience last November, by the way? So when you say maiden voyage, I think of the Sloop John B., the Beach Boys song, <laughs> This is the Worst Trip I've Ever Been On, uh, is what people feel like when, you know, they imagine that that's how we feel working with Bill. It's not. No. It's a it, glorious. It's an act. It's a glorious uh, mentally electric experience. And he is, you know, he has such a good heart. Yes. He's such a wonderful, dynamic human being that he's such a unicorn. It's I, I love sitting next to him because you never know where you're going to be dragged. Exactly. If you'll have any knowledge base for where you end up, if it will be like you have literally been kidnapped, blindfolded, <laughs> and then thrown out of an unmarked vehicle in not only a different country but a different planet. And believe me, I've had that experience yeah. many a times. And I kept trying to convince him your name is Jason, not Justin. He was still floored by, well, first he could, because I did a game right after you guys were in Maui with him. <laughs> and he, well, you were with me in Maui. I'm like, no, I wasn't. Yeah, you were there. No, that was Jason. 
He kept telling me his name was Justin. No, it's Jason. Why? So I did tell him once that it was Justin, just to confound <laughs> him a little bit and see if. So, but by the end of the by the end of the six games, he had memorized my parents' names, but claimed to not know my name. Exactly. Which is a great bit. I'm Bill with two L's. How are you? Yeah. Well, I, uh, save it for the year. <laughs> the legendary Bill Wall. Yeah. Um, I fear that if we if if your shirt and my pants got together. It would clash. I've got this kind of lime green button down with the sleeves it's rolled up. It's a great shirt. And My pants are questionable. Maroon, what, what color are we going with? So Salmon? I, uh, Ryan Lefevre from the Royals says they're pink. Okay. He is, That's not pink. Uh, he is a notable moron That's, in that case. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, rhubarb is what I go That's with. That's a good call. I, I like the rhubarb. He asked Denny Matthews, the, the, the uh, venerable radio Hall voice of, yeah. Yeah, of the Royals, what color he thought my pants were, and he said, like, uh, fuchsia or something. Denny's colorblind. <laughs> Why would you ask him? <laughs> what close, are you doing? They're closer to purple than they are to pink. Wouldn't you agree with that? Unquestionably. Thank oh, you. Uh, at our ballpark, a woman, just a worker in the ballpark, came up to me, and she said, nice pink pants. And I said, they're not pink. And she goes, I know. I said, well, that's not how words work. She's a Ryan Lefevre fan, clearly. Yeah, she's clearly a Ryan Lefevre fan. Watches Royals games all night long. Before we get into the anything of substance. White Sox, yes. I've been telling people of your Sean McDonough Uh-oh. impersonation. This is legendary. You Delighted to be here with you, Kermit. It's a beautiful <laughs> look you've got there. Miss Piggy was wondering whether or not she could take you out to dinner. <laughs> is that Roxy like the woman from Chicago? When did you start doing the, the Sean McDonough? I don't know. I've always is it a Syracuse thing? I've always I've always revered Sean and Sean. What as what, we should in our business. Yeah. What broke my heart was after I did the impersonation and I had let him know that it happened, and he said, "Well, I know that already. I've gotten many texts from people," and I was like, "Yeah, I, I okay." Uh, <laughs> he texts even in that voice. It's amazing. <laughs> so uh, he said, "A couple people thought you were ripping me," and. You know, there's no real good way to clear up that I'm not because <laughs> I can't talk to everybody individually. Imitation is the sincerest form right. of flattery. I love him dearly. He's a wonderful person. He has been great to me, and he's such a fantastic announcer. Yes. And very early on in my life, I mean, I was in college, and I sent him a CD. Remember CDs? We're sitting here at a table. You sent me one, too. That's where we I first did. met each other. I did. When I was in Miami. I did, and you were awesome to me, and thank you. Uh, uh, Sean basically said, like, I know you can do this. You're going to be good. And, you know, you, you kind of imitate. It's like any musician, right? You mm-hmm. hear somebody that you like and you want to play like them. And that's kind of the way I was with, with Sean. But now uh, I just uh, do the impersonation sometimes on the air. I had a Syracuse <laughs> game a couple of years ago, and Brandon Trish was on the team, and the ball went into the corner, and I was like, Trish, 4-3. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> This is so unacceptable. I can't. The TV voice of the Chicago White Sox, Jason Benetti, here with us on A's Cast Live on the field as the White Sox in town opening a three-game series. All right, fill us in on your ball club. What's the latest with the the Southsiders? Uh, First thing, this is a great setup. You like this? Sit outside, hang out, talk baseball on the dirt. Like, that's that's a little too humid probably in Chicago to get away with this. Oh, my. I'd be like, I'd be a lagoon. Uh, but with with the Sox right now, it's fun. 
it's a fun team. Tim Anderson's hurt, and he's kind of he creates the vibe for the team. So losing him is not ideal. He's been out for a couple weeks now, but. Uh, Giolito has been a fantastic story. I mean, he just told me in the clubhouse, there are guys coming up to him at the All-Star Game saying, how'd you do this? How, how did this happen? What did you do? They, they're mining him for information on his improvement, which is a remarkable thing after being basically the worst pitcher in baseball last year. Uh, you got Moncada, who really could have been an All-Star. There's so many good third basemen, but he could have been an All-Star. And he's been good against uh, righties, certainly, but he's been really much better against lefties, too. And so there's a lot of incremental improvement from a number of different pieces. Even Aaron Bummer, the lefty in the bullpen, has been one of the top relievers in the American League for, for my money this year. So it's fun. I mean, there's there's this core group that kind of feels like uh, superheroes getting together for the first time and deciding that they, oh, their powers are better together. And that's the... That's the atmosphere right now in the clubhouse is they're climbing together, which which is fun. And it's a young core that's going to grow up together, as you're talking about, Jason. And you mentioned Tim Anderson. When can the White Sox hope to get him back? You know, they're working hard on him. He's in the clubhouse. He traveled with the team. Uh, Ricky Renteria said just 20 minutes ago that they're going to evaluate him in the next couple days, and then it's going to be up to Tim, essentially, how he feels. So it didn't sound like it was three weeks away. It sounded more imminent than not, but there's no specific timetable. I, I wouldn't imagine it would be in this series, but I, I, I would certainly presume he'll be in the lineup for a while when the A's get to Chicago on August 9th, I think. Jason Benetti, TV voice of the White Sox, joining us on A's Cast Live as the White Sox in town. And this young core, we got to see a glimpse of it last year. How have they made that next step, this group? Because last year, it was, a, it was a rough season. They were learning their trade here at the Major League level, Jason. But this year, it seems they've made a, a big step forward into where this team wants to get to. I, I think a big part of it is Giolito. You have a guy who's a bona fide ace at the front of the rotation. And frankly, if you pull his ERA out of the starter ERA for the year, teams at like six and a half. I mean, it is not good the other four days, or hasn't been. I mean, there have been glimpses. Yvonne Nova has had a couple good starts recently. Dylan Covey, before he got hurt, was giving you innings and keeping you in the ball game. And now Dylan Cease coming up from AAA. There's, there's some cavalry coming uh, now into the starting rotation that will help that. But, it, but it's Giolito at the front of it. And then it's guys like Moncada getting substantially better against breaking balls. And even Eloy Jimenez, after a rough first three weeks getting substantially better against breaking balls I mean it's these individual differences that are happening specific to each guy and James McCann by the way I haven't said James McCann's yeah. name I his first half you saw him with the yeah. Tigers nobody had he wasn't any this idea guy. nobody <laughs> had he didn't even have any idea that he was going to be this offensively but you look at his two strike numbers his pop-up his infield pop-up rate last year was like 14 percent it's down to two percent he has been so dedicated to being a line drive, somewhat opposite field spray hitter, and I know there are people out there saying, well, that's not what you should do. For some guys, that is the case. I, I understand that power comes from in front now. You have to go get the ball. That creates power, and, and the pull side is where people go in the home run derby, and, and that's where power comes from for your MVP types. James McCann said, I was trying to be Miguel Cabrera. I was trying to be Victor Martinez. I was even trying to be Nick Castellanos. I have to be the best version of me. 
and I don't have all of that. He literally said that to himself. That was a, an affirmative mental change he made, and you can see it out on the field. And by the way, Giolito, I think, would tell you that he wouldn't be the guy he is without James McCann. They have such a great close relationship as McCann is the guide. Uh, he's been a huge force. They tried to be aggressive, Jason, in the offseason. They went after Manny Machado. Do you anticipate Kenny Williams trying to be aggressive again and trying to add some pieces, find a good veteran that fits in with this young core, maybe heading into this offseason? I think maybe. Uh, I think especially in the starting pitching department, you could see that. because it would, it would make some sense because there are young pitchers that are still coming back from injury like Carlos Rodon and Michael Kopech, Tommy Johns, and then Dane Dunning in the minor league system. So uh, it would seem like the time that you would go do that. It depends on the, the stock available uh, and who signs an extension. Like, had Arenado not signed his extension, there are a bunch of teams that would have said, okay, he's going to be our cornerstone. So you wonder who's going to be that guy that's available that hasn't signed an extension. But, yeah, I, I do think they will look in that department. I really do. You brought up some of the... The nerd stats, if you will, from baseball. You got to... I'm wearing rhubarb <laughs> pants, so it counts. It's the you, proper word. You got to call the Home Run Derby for ESPN2, and you did the analytics broadcast. What was that experience like for you on uh, last Monday night in Cleveland? Have you ever done a Home Run Derby? No. Dude. It, <laughs> it is uh, like... I, I. It's what I imagine it's kind of like when there's a very small fire in a building, but people overreact and think it's a very large fire. And everybody scrambles for the exit and nobody's gonna get hurt, right? It's like, it's the, it's the small, it's like Costanza in Seinfeld, like just elbowing people out of the way because there's only supposed to be one ball in the air at a time, but everybody cheats, even the umpire cheats. And he's like, yeah, you go ahead. It's fine. Why not? We're trying to have fun. Throw another pitch. And then StatCast freaks out because when a ball gets hit, it takes the ball that was just hit. So the ball that flew away disappears. It's like playing peekaboo with a two-year-old <laughs> with StatCast in that way. Like, where'd you go? I don't see you anymore. So uh, it, it's great fun. It is great fun, but it moves so fast compared to when you're in baseball mode. You know, you're just kind of sitting here relaxing and leaning back and taking in the next pitch. That never happens in the home run derby, and it's a shock to the system. But, man, is it fun. The run that Vlad went on, the run that Harper went on last year, I don't know that I've felt a more electric atmosphere in a baseball stadium recently. I mean, I haven't been to World Series, so like I'm sure that exists. But for a one-moment situation, I would take everybody rising together with that run of home runs. That was phenomenal television. It was oh. such a great event and a great showcase for Major League Baseball. Yeah, let's have fun, yeah. right? Why, why, why are people against fun? Fun is good. Yeah, that's that's what the Vec family mantra is. There's even a book entitled Fun is Good. We should do that more. We should have showcases like that. I've been advocating for the triples derby, <laughs> where you have two outfielders and a third baseman. <laughs> it would be a little fatiguing, you would imagine, because you'd hit the ball, and then you'd start to run to third. Or maybe one of the... Base runners could race the freeze. I oh, I like that. See, I, we could be on to something. This is why we brainstorm. Out of the batter's box and who can run around the bases faster. You know, the freeze is great in a straight line, but can he cut the angle and can he cut the corner to bag? Yeah, it's it's more of a skills competition than the freeze is used to. 
Exactly. Yeah. It could be more of a home field advantage for somebody. I don't like a Billy Hamilton, somebody who's you know, one of the fastest guys in baseball. What do you think? I'd watch. I mean, we have the metrics for it now, right? So yeah. why don't we use them, deploy them to do more skills stuff? Well, have a great weekend here in the Bay Area. Always great to see you. It started great. Justin I get to or talk Jason? To you. I can't remember. Uh, did, you, did you ever compete against Dick Butkus in anything? <laughs> Bill, what do you imagine that would be? Are you old enough to remember who Dick Butkus is? Yeah. He just said that to me so he could bring up that he was on Wheel of Fortune. Have with you ever Dick fought Butkus. an aardvark before? I mean, twice, Bill. <laughs> twice. Last Wednesday and then in 2002. Jason, great to see you. Roxy, thank you for having me. My pal, Jason Benetti. TV voice of the White Sox also gets to share the broadcaster table with everybody's favorite home guest, crazy uncle Bill Walton. Coming up down. next, the baseball continues. Vince Catronio joins us, A's Cast Live, right here from the Coliseum. Now back to A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. A's cast live from the field at the Coliseum. The second half getting underway tonight. The White Sox in town. Their only appearance here at the Coliseum this season. In for Chris Townsend, Roxy Bernstein with you. And one of the regulars makes a return engagement and appearance here on the show, Vince Catronio. You know what it's like? You ever watch the Johnny Carson show? Yeah. These guys can Google it later. So you Ed McMahon? No, uh, yes. remember when Jim Fowler would come on and he'd have the great animal act and you're the next guy? <laughs> yeah. You just yeah. had the great Jason Benetti yeah. and, and here and I go. And his rhubarb pants. <laughs> yes. we, we, you, you got just the plain khaki yeah, color. That's fine. Second half khakis. How's your break? Everything was good. Spent some time in Napa, Yeah. Healdsburg, uh, Sonoma. Uh, spent some time with Billy and Marta Renetti up there. I had a great time. And uh, the Jordan Winery and the Rombauer and Cake Bread and Coppola and Saw a lot of good people, drank a lot of good wine. Did you ship some wine home? I, I did not ship it, actually. My wife opted for me to hold on to it. Okay. I don't know why. She, she actually thinks she I'm not going to drink any of it while she's gone. <laughs> and then I will deliver it personally when I get home. How long have you guys been married now? 20? 28. Married on a Tuesday and, and she night. she trusts you to send you all, all the uh, Married over the, the All-Star break, 1991. On a Tuesday and you, night. You, when you proposed, did you tell her, hey, this is the day we have to do it? This is the only day I'm available? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the way it worked. It went, uh, you know, we got engaged uh, in January of 91, planned an October wedding. I'm Italian. My wife is Hispanic, so you know it was going to be a large <laughs> sit-down. A lot of family. Full, full Catholic mass thing. Yeah. And uh, she calls me in May. She goes, you know, I'd really like to move this up if we can. I said, and I'm already working for the Astros. I said, hun, I got three days off. And that's it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If you want to do it, I'll fly my parents out to Arizona. I'll fly my best man out, and we'll – We'll get married, and that's what we did. See, I, I was kind of the same way. I like great because I was doing baseball full time with the Marlins at the time. We got married after the '05 season, and I was doing basketball for Cal, so that limited my schedule availability. Sure. So I, when I proposed, oh great, I have December 17th, take it or leave it. Yeah. And sure enough, that's her anniversary. Yeah. So obviously, she liked what she heard. That's how it works. So we're getting ready for the second half, and. The team finished the first half strong. What did you like about the way the team was playing heading into the break? I, th I think if you, if you look at it from afar, you say, well, the pitching staff isn't – you go, that's not an exciting pitching staff, and you've lost Frankie Motas, who would excite you when you saw him on the mound, and yet you look at the last three weeks in the ERA, you go, wow, how did that happen? Mike Fires has been tremendous, certainly. You lose Blake Trinan to the IL, and he was inconsistent. Lou Trevino was inconsistent. 
And all of a sudden, a lifeline comes in with Liam Hendricks, and he picks up the slack and gets five saves at the end of the first half. Uh, I think when Matt Olson was out for, you know, the six weeks with a broken hand, and suddenly he gets back in and gets hot, he helps carry the club because the reality is Chris Davis hit 10 home runs in March and April and hadn't hit a whole lot since, and he really has not been that productive. Combination of running into the wall in Pittsburgh, really hurting his side, and also uh, you know, getting hit on the hand in Anaheim. Those were, those were factors, and I, I think that the rest probably helped him as much as anybody, and for me, he's if the A's could be where they are now without getting production from Chris Davis like they have gotten in the past, it speaks to how well they've held it together. The defense has been outstanding. Marcus Simeon has been a tremendous story, and really watching the growth of a guy like Ramon Laureano, who was stepped into the five-hole, you know, I didn't see that coming, especially in spring training when he was swinging and missing and everything. And 16 home runs. Yeah, and all of a sudden he's, you know, he, he, he has really stepped into a spot where Steven Piscotti was struggling, and then he got pushed down, then he got hurt, and Laureano's kind of, at least for the moment, has handled that spot because a year ago Steven Piscotti in the second half was as good a hitter as anybody yeah. in the league. And that, that has not caught fire yet this year. So the way they've kind of pieced it together really has, has been impressive. And I, I, I think this homestand's pretty vital to get off to a good start. On paper, it looks like you've got a chance to do that with the White Sox and with the Mariners. Because then you go on a, you know, a crucial where are we trip. You know, kind of road trip with four in Minnesota and you know, in the three in Houston. So it, I, I think it's going to be fun to watch how this thing plays out. You look at the way the rotation is without Montas is taking shape. And, we can't we've talked about it quite a bit on during you and ken and when i filled in on the broadcast about the job brett anderson has done for this team and and how consistent he has been and he's taken the ball every turn yeah he's been healthy and he's gone deep in games and he's you know brett anderson 2.0 or 3.0 whatever he is he's not the brett anderson of you know of, the, of 2009 when he threw the two hitter at fenway park and he knows that and yet he has such an incredible acumen for pitching and he knows that he can move his sinker this far off the plate and get him to chase it or keep it down or knows when to throw the changeup, knows when to throw the curveball. He's fielded his position well enough. He's, he's controlled the running game very well. He's got a lot of ground balls. And he's just a guy that's he's been there. And I think there's something to be said for that. And, and again, going back to the top with Mike Fires, you didn't see it in April. And all of a sudden, you know, from the end of April to where we are now, like 13 starts, he's been as good as anybody in the league with a guy that throws a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. He knows he throws the fastball. They know he throws the fastball. He likes throwing the fastball a lot, you know, more than 50% of the time. And yet he's going to attack with it. He feels like he can spot it and still get outs, and he has. And it's been a, a remarkable run for him since that rough beginning to the year. What have you noticed, Vince, the difference with him early in the season? Okay, yeah, he's getting outs and he's getting wins and he's going deeper into games, but – are you seeing anything specific with Fires that's been a, a big difference? I, I think conviction. I, I think going back to really trusting the fastball. Uh, you know, he's, he uses the cutter now and with the slider and and, and the changeup. But I, I, I do think it's it's the fastball for him because that's where he's lived on. And he's a guy that's going to pitch up in the zone. Uh, and he's not, I, I don't think he's afraid. He's been through an awful lot with, you know, with the stuff that he has, and he's, and he's handled it. So – He's not maybe the prototypical flame-throwing type of an ace that some other clubs may have, but he's gone out there. He's, you look up, and all of a sudden it's six and two-thirds, and the team's winning the game, and that's the definition of what your guy's supposed to do. Vince Catronio with us here on A's Cast Live. or on the field of the Coliseum. The A's opening up the second half tonight, and when you look at the race and the Houston Astros, who have now a seven-game lead coming into play tonight, 
How do you handicap it when you look at, look, the A's made a charge and made a run and caught the Astros last year before Houston pulled away. Does this team have it right now to be able to chase down the Astros again? I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, they, they've done it, which I think certainly helps. Uh, they went through two series against the Astros, not seeing Verlander and Cole in, in any of those games. That changed the last time they, they faced them. Uh, the other thing you've, that you've got to be concerned with, at least on paper, the teams the A's are chasing in the wild card, Tampa Bay, Cleveland. Uh, they have easier schedules down the stretch. Tampa Bay has 11 games left with Baltimore, including tonight where they're winning 9-0 in they the third They put a touchdown on the board in the first. Yeah, so, I mean, that you know that, that speaks to what, what the challenge is for them. The Yankees have an easier schedule uh, in the second half than the A's do. So the A's have 35 at home, 35 on the road, plus the suspended game, which they're hoping is still in their back pocket, and that they can take to the house against the, the Tigers with the lead in the seventh inning. Um, I, I do think based on what the A's did last year, that they know that they're in it. I, I still go back to the guy that makes out the lineup card and his ability to, to motivate this team. And he told them at the end of, of the first half in Seattle, he went on the clubhouse and said, guys, you know what? Look where we are, and we really have not played our best baseball yet. So enjoy the break and you know, get after it and see if that happens starting tonight. Well, Fires will take on Ivan Nova tonight. Open this series, and it's a critical stretch, but you know what? It's good to play meaningful games down the stretch. There's no doubt. I mean, that's that's why you play. I mean, you, you want to you want to be a team that feels like they're in contention year in and year out. The, the Rangers are trying to get there this year. They, they, they got off to a great start. They've fallen back a little bit, but they still believe they're in it. But they're behind the A's. Uh, you know, the Red Sox, are, are to me, are a dangerous team. They played well at the end of the first half, although they didn't pitch that great, but they were swinging the bat better. I think, for me, it's... It, I think Tampa Bay is going to be there based on their schedule because of who they're playing. Again, 11 games with Baltimore helps. Uh, I think the Red Sox are the team to watch out. This weekend will determine Cleveland. Uh, they're playing Minnesota, and they're losing early tonight. Uh, you know, Are they going to be in it? Or are they going to be – that's the wild card. Is Cleveland going to – What gonna, are they going to do with Bauer? Are you going to trade Bauer? What are you going to do with Brad Hand? You know, what other pieces? What you know? They think they've got Kluber coming back. They think they may have Carrasco coming back. Uh, I think they're they're the most interesting uh, wild card in, in this race, you know, trying to get to the wild card. Well, thanks for stopping by. I know you got a broadcast to prepare yeah. for. Yeah, it'll be fun. And uh, I'll see you upstairs. Yeah, we'll be there. Good to see you, Rox. Vince Catronio stopping by A's Cast Live. One hour down, a lot more baseball conversation to continue. As coming up, Mike Aldretti will join us, as well as we'll hear from one of the A's All-Stars, Liam Hendricks. A's Cast Live continues from the Coliseum as the A's open up the second half tonight against the White Sox. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. One and and Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Hour number two of A's Cast Live from the field at the Coliseum. As the A's open up the second half tonight, the Chicago White Sox in town. Opening a three-game series, Mike Fires. Ivan Nova, your pitching matchup at the Coliseum. A spectacular night. Not a cloud in the sky, just gorgeous here at the Coliseum. And Ricky Henderson Fields to come on down. Love to see you here at the ballpark tonight or this weekend. 
as the A's playing great baseball to end the first half, hope to keep it going starting the second half tonight. A's cast live, no Chris Townsend today. Roxy Bernstein in for Uncle Townie, who will be back, what, an A's cast live on Monday, right? That's the next edition of the show. But he will be back on Sunday to perform his regular duties on the A's broadcast. And so I'll be here tonight and tomorrow stepping in for Uncle Townie. And we were looking at the out-of-town scoreboard, which because it's great to see this time of the year. When you're looking at the out-of-town scoreboard, you're checking games from around the country in Major League Baseball, that's a good thing because it means they're relevant games because the A's are relevant as far as the conversation goes. And the A's will be doing some scoreboard watching in addition to trying to keep themselves in the race. And just getting going in Texas is a pivotal game for the A's as the Rangers hosting the Houston Astros interleague game at Fenway, 2-1, the Red Sox leading the LA Dodgers. Home runs by Rafael Devers and Christian Vasquez for the Red Sox. Alex Verdugo's gone deep, one of the young bright stars in this game for the Dodgers. So a 2-1 lead, Eduardo Rodriguez going against Kenta Maeda, the pitching matchup there at Fenway. The Tampa Bay Rays, they've added a safety and the Buccaneers lead the Ravens 9-0 now. Now it's the Rays up after a seven-run first where Tommy Pham homered. Uh, now Lau went deep for Tampa Bay, a 9-0 lead for the Rays, and not a good start for Dylan Bundy to begin the second half. They are scoreless in the fourth at the stadium in the Bronx, the Blue Jays and the Yankees. Minnesota, 1-0 lead at Cleveland, fourth inning. Their progressive field, Nelson Cruz, a home run. Tigers are at Kansas City. The Mariners are at Anaheim coming up later tonight. Over in the National League, one final. The Cubs beat the Pirates as Pittsburgh tried to rally late. They were down 3-0. They scored three in the eighth to make it a 3-3 ball game before the Cubs got a run on the bottom of the eighth. And a 4-3 win. Rosario the winner over Kyle Crick. Crick Craig Kimbrell the save. 3-0, the Nationals leading at Philadelphia. They're in the top of the sixth inning in Philly. The Mets a 2-0 lead in Miami against the Marlins. Later on, the Brewers hosting the Giants. The Diamondbacks in St. Louis. The Reds are at the Rockies and Atlanta is at San Diego. Maybe the most important score for me, though. And I'm trying to get a score. My son's got a tournament game going on over in Foster City today. I was able to go to his game Wednesday before I flew to Texas for the Rangers and the Astros last night. He had a 4 o'clock game at Edgewater Park over in Foster City, which is only 15 minutes from the S from SFO where I flew out of to go to Texas. So I was able to see the whole game. They won 15-5 Wednesday. Great day for my kid. Jake went three for three, drove in two. Solid day at the plate. Well, better than solid day. And so I'm trying to get the score today. My wife's at the game. Now she's sending me video of his at-bats. And then she sends me, it's 10-6. No, who's ahead? I don't know who's ahead. Last update she said it was 6-6. So now, okay, now there's a barrage of text I've got. Um, losing 12-6, two outs, Michael hit a home, not my kid. Uh, no, it was a three-run homer, so she changes, 12-9. Jake grounded a short game over, so he made the last out, it looks like, and they lose 12-9. But when you send the score, you got to tell me who's winning, right? 
Cody, what do you, you know, you're going to text somebody the score. You got to know who's winning. Yeah, I agree. I don't. Uh, that's. Just, I mean, I feel like I go through this all the time with Tony, where his wife interrupts the show and doesn't tell him the right things. Oh, what's going on with the girls? Yeah. So like, this is just something that this, this is mind-boggling. You're trying to find out what your son's doing. You're you're here grinding, sticking it to the man. Right. And your and your son's. And playing. I can't be there. You got to fill me yeah. in. You got. I mean, like I give you the other day. She she couldn't make the game Wednesday. She had to pick up our daughter from camp. And so I'm at the ballpark with him, and I'm texting her. Well, granted, this is kind of what I do for a living. It's play-by-play, so I'm kind of texting her the play-by-play. Oh, you're radio host today. Radio host Re- today. Sorry, that's what I'm doing today. So I was play-by-play last night. My bad. And then I get to also play the role in between innings, right? Townie in the fifth. Oh, yeah, that yeah, That gets yeah. to be me today, too. Pre and post. Right. But, I mean, that's – come on. This is what I expect. This is what I – I did it for you. You could do it for me. You, got, you, you can't – you only gave me partial of what's going on. Right? Give me this full score. Who's ahead? The one thing I'm I'll not say, asking for too much, right? The one thing I'll say about this about Roxy's son, he's a much better hockey player than a baseball player. Now, I've seen just some highlights. It's, it's pretty close, but he loves hockey more. I'm he not going to write him off. He loves baseball. I'm not going to write him off. He might have a negative war right now, but, you know, he's still young. He'll grind. Might need a demotion, but I, the, I've seen the hockey skills, and he's he's pretty talented. He, he's, he's not bad. He's okay. You know, but he's a huge A's fan. He's watching every game or listening to every game, whatever he can do. We're in the car, and we we're just – you know, did a long family trip for the 4th of July, and we were listening to the ball game in the card. You know his, you know his favorite player is? On the A's? Yeah. Uh, Matt Chapman. Incorrect. Any other guesses? Chad Pinder. No. Marcus Simeon. Okay. Cal guy. He's a, well, that's part of it. Well, okay. But every, a little like, bias I, there. I bring him on, down here on the field sometimes for BP, and he gets to stand back there behind. And Marcus always makes a point to come over and say hi, shake his hand, ask him how he's doing. No, I've also I've known Marcus since Marcus was in high school, so I go back. I went to college with his dad, Damian. So I go way back with the Simeons. So in fact, you know, when when Marcus was at St. Mary's High School in Berkeley, that's when I first met him. When he was, you know, looking to go to Cal. Of course, his high school sweetheart, his lovely wife now Tara. She was a volleyball standout herself. So yeah, I go way back with the Simeons. So that that's also I think plays into account. As well, why, why Marcus is his favorite player. There's a great article on uh, Fangraphs today. They wrote about the uh, the growth of Marcus Simeon from year year you know year to year, and uh, it's really good. Uh, Dan uh, Zimborski, okay, Zimbrowski, yeah, who will be actually be joining Ace Cast Live on Monday. To talk about it. Uh, wrote a great article on Simeon and how he's grown over the years. And we could see it. Look, we get to see it firsthand on a daily basis of how good he has become. But the other thing is that a lot of the fans don't get to see is how hard he works. And we hear, you know, you hear the stories of the work he used to put in here with Ron Washington. But there, there's no player in Major League Baseball that works harder to improve and get better than Marcus Simeon, without a doubt. He is as hard a worker as there is, and it's paying dividends, and we can see it firsthand and how much better and how much more well-rounded of a player Marcus has gotten here with all the hard work that he has put in. A's cast live from the Coliseum, the A's and White Sox tonight. Coming up next here on A's Cast Live, we'll be joined by Mike Aldretti. Joining us on the field, A's and White Sox tonight. You're tuned in to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. On the field at the Coliseum, A's open up the second half tonight against the White Sox. Roxy Bernstein with you on A's Cast Live. Joined by A's assistant hitting coach, Mike Aldretti, joining us. And did you have a good break? Had a great break. I got a chance to go home, sleep in my own bed. Got a chance to see my brand new grandson. Two weeks, a couple huh? of weeks, couple of weeks old, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could have done anything better. 
So did you, you were able to maximize your time during the break. Did you come back today? I got up early this morning and uh, made it in time for the workout. And uh, so got an, another extra evening at home. And uh, yeah, four full days off. You don't get that very often in the big leagues. You also, though, since the last time I've seen you, you don't have the cast on anymore. Yeah, quick healer, quick healer. Unless, of course, you talk to Darren Bush, who says I'm a slow healer. <laughs> but uh, bottom line is I'm healed. When did you get the cast off? Uh, probably, I went at, my last appointment was three weeks ago. He put a little soft cast on there. And uh, as we speak, I probably should still be on, but uh, okay. I, feel, I feel good enough to take it off. You're a gamer. You're tough. Yeah. So the team finished the first half really strong. The way they went into the break, full momentum, winning four straight series, taking two out of three from Seattle. What did you see with, with the team down the stretch here right before the All-Star break? Well, I saw a lot of uh, what I saw last year. I saw us trying to kind of find our way early in the season, uh, then kind of starting to hit our stride as the All-Star break approached, and hopefully hit our stride and take it take it from uh, the end of the All-Star break on into the end of the season. Right before you came on, we were talking about the growth of Marcus Simeon and becoming the all-around player that he's become. Look, we, we've seen how hard he works, and Aldo, you know that better than anybody working with him every day, but his work at the plate, his work at the field. What's the biggest difference in him that you have seen, his growth as a player? Well, I think what what I've seen for the last five years, I've been here as long as he has, uh, I saw a kid who had the work ethic to get whatever he felt like he needed to get done, done. Uh, and a lot has been made of uh, how much he's improved defensively, and there's no question about it. But, uh, you know, being from the hitting side, you know, he's just matured. His, uh, his command of the strike zone is so much better. He's using the whole field. Uh, his entire game, in my opinion, is just taking leaps and bounds every year. And, uh, and hopefully it can continue here on. And he's become a legitimate leadoff batter. He didn't necessarily have that in him when you first got to work with him five years ago. But the knowledge that he has developed and the veteran presence that he has become now with this team, the transformation of him, what is the biggest difference for him as a batter that's made him a good leadoff hitter? Well, one, I think it's confidence. And two, what I thought you were going to say is lead when you said leadoff. And the very first thing that came to my mind is uh, what a leader he's been. Okay, and, and the, that has trans, transcended into his uh, offensive game because his confidence in himself, his confidence in his ability to play this game, his confidence to know everything, and not to mention now he's he's a little older, and uh, guys look to him, and they look to him for how we're supposed to go about playing this game, how we're supposed to go about getting prepared for this game, and then how we're supposed to play the game. He was always a really grounded person to begin with, and that work ethic which you talked about, Mike, that he's had since he's been here, and I, I've known him since he was in high school, he's always had it. But now that he's a two-time dad, do you think that's also helped him mature and become one of the, the elder statesmen and the guy, one of the guys that people at the clubhouse look to? There's no question. I think that uh, everybody has, you know, they have their own process, uh, the maturation process, and his has coincided with becoming a dad and becoming uh, a veteran in that clubhouse. And, you know, all those things put together has turned him into a solid, in my opinion, all-star caliber performer at the big league level. Last thing I want to ask you is about Ramon Laureano. Vince 
Catroni and I were talking about him and his growth as well. And here's a player that came up last year, clearly gave this team a shot in the arm and a spark with his defense. But the way he's matured as a hitter at the plate, what have you seen with his progression now that we're seeing him hit fifth in the order a lot of the time? Well, the one thing that I have seen is his is his willingness to listen, his willingness to try things. Um, you, Bushy, and I with him in the cage, you know, we bring up certain things. And at this level, sometimes you kind of get the eye roll, like, you know, I, I'm pretty good at this. Uh, there's none of that with Ramon. He uh, he listens. He tries it. Not everything works, but that doesn't stop him from uh, trying the next thing that we uh, that we suggest. And from that standpoint, I really enjoy working with him because he's he's aware that not every single thing we say is going to just go right into you know base hits and hits and homers. And uh, he's willing to put the work in the things that work for him. And he's uh, he's open with us. And uh, all in all. He has come as far as anybody could possibly come as a hitter, especially learning it on the fly at the big league level. Great stuff, Aldo. Appreciate you stopping by, coming over here. We're just beyond the A's dugout third base side. Congratulations Thank on you. your grandson, and uh, have a fun second half. I hope so. Thank you. Mike Aldretti, A's assistant hitting coach, joining us here on A's Cast Live. Coming up next, we'll hear from the All-Star. Liam Hendricks joins us on A's Cast Live from the Coliseum. <laughs> back to A's Cast Live. From the Coliseum, A's Cast Live on the field as the second half starts tonight. A's and White Sox in a five-game homestand for the green and gold. And a beautiful night for baseball, so come on out. Love to see you here at the ballpark as the A's riding that wave of momentum. Strong closeout to the first half and trying to keep it going here in the second half. Roxy Bernstein with you, joined by... One of the all-stars from the Oakland A's, Liam Hendricks, who got to go to Cleveland. And congratulations again. All right, now that the experience is over, what was the last week like for you? Oh, first of all, thank you for having me. But uh, the experience is great. Like, it was uh, it was a hectic couple of days because we flew from Seattle, landed in Cleveland about 2 a.m. Uh, so it was uh, it was a, it was hectic because yeah, it felt like you always had stuff on. We had the media, then we had the home run derby, then we had the next day, then we are at the field at, at the red carpet. And it's just it's a lot going on. But uh, – yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a reason for there being a lot going on, and we had an absolute blast. My wife and I, she's from about an hour and a half out of uh, out of Cleveland. So, oh, perfect. So her dad was able to come up. She ended up flying my parents out to surprise me. So we had a – it was a good time, but uh, it was just – it was very tiring. I'm still trying to catch up on it. So how many people came into Cleveland, and, and was that a little tough for you to try to navigate and make sure everybody's taken care of? A little bit. Like, uh, her dad just came up for the game. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents came in after the home run derby that night, and then we had a couple friends from Fort Myers where we live come up as well. So there were six of us, in the six people there in total. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was most of the time it was easy because we just hung out in the common area, and they came down. We were able to get some food and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot going on with just the media stuff. So, like, my wife is an absolute legend for being able to deal with it all, <laughs> just, like, coinciding, making sure people are in the right spots and what time we're meeting and all that. So, she did a really good job it of organizing. It can be stressful it for you. Oh, it's, it's more stressful on her than it is on me, that's for sure. I go to the field, and I just need to get ready for a game. She has to do all the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. For, before we get to the game, I want to ask you about you're on the field Monday night watching the Home Run Derby. What was it like for you to experience that so close to the action? Well, I mean, I think we've, we've got a couple guys out here that uh, they could put on a Home Run Derby by themselves. So it was just uh, it was cool seeing it without, without a turtle, without a cage, without everything like that, and just – I mean, sitting with the American League guys is awesome. So just, I mean, we had, uh, I think the American League guys definitely won in uh, fanfare just because of the fact that we had 
Like all of us stuck around. Most of the guys stuck around for the entire time, whereas the National League guys that look over, they're either sitting down or they're all gone. So, <laughs> I mean, it just it just it is what it is. But the American League seem to we we seem to like have a little bit more fun. Although we saw Clayton Kershaw come back from dinner because Jock Peterson was in that eventful semifinal with Vlad Jr. and some of those moonshots that he had. But let's go forward to the game Tuesday. You get in. I know you had a funny moment. Did you catch your spike? What happened there? No, it's called the hitch pitch. I did it twice in the big leagues last year against uh, once against Seattle uh, against Gene Segura, and then the other time was against Baltimore with Trey Mancini. So it was, um, yeah, I've done it a couple times. Did it in the minor leagues probably maybe a dozen times last year, and I hadn't whipped it out this year, but I figured it may as well on the stage it is, and especially with the game not mattering as much as well. Like, there's no uh, home field advantage for the World Series anymore, so Figured I may as well whip it out and see how it goes. The next pitch was the one that was unintentional, the one that hit the back net on the full. <laughs> so that one wasn't That shot quite, right over the umpire? Yeah, that one wasn't quite expected. But, uh, I mean, it ended up with a strikeout. So, I mean, anything I can do to get an out, that's all it is. Have you noticed when you've tried the hitch pitch that it does mess off the timing of the hitter? Well, that's the point of it. The point of it is to mess up the timing. Obviously, um, any chance we get to, as a pitcher to mess up timing, you look at Stroman with his multiple wind-ups, you look at uh, Hansel. Mangdon, Hansel Robles with his with his toe taps. I mean, you're just looking for any edge you can get, and that's something that whether it works or not, it usually throws off the timing a little bit, and it's better for the next pitch as well. What, what did it mean to you, Liam, with your journey when you got the call that you were going to the All Star game? Yeah, it was. Uh, it it floored me a little bit. Like I got a little knee, uh, weak in the knees just because I wasn't expecting. It. I think I had. Uh, I was obviously disappointed when it first came out. But um, after that, I'd convinced myself that it wasn't as big of a deal to me as it was. And, like, my wife and I had planned a trip to Big Sur for the, for the All-Star weekend. So we had, uh, we had ulterior plans and all that stuff going on. So it, was, uh, it definitely surprised me when it happened. Obviously, that's the best kind of surprise. But, um, yeah, it was great, like, able to get on a flight on Sunday night out of the game. And my wife flew. She was in Oakland, so she was able to fly to Cleveland and get there a little bit before me. So she didn't have as big of a jet lag as well. <laughs> Did, have you had any time at all just to reflect on your journey and to become a Major League All-Star and everywhere you've been along the way as a baseball player? Not really. I mean, um, I've, done my, I've done my fair share of dwelling on things before. So I think it's, uh, it's not exactly the best place for me. <laughs> regardless of good bad or anything like that i think uh, it's, if i'm thinking of good things i only think of the good things and it takes away from the stuff that i need to be working on or if i'm only thinking of the bad things it puts me in a bad place mentally so for me i just try and keep moving forward and um i just try and make sure i'm not expecting anything i think removing expectations for me was the biggest thing between the last couple of years so i'm not going out there and expecting to be like the sixth seventh inning guy and then all of a sudden throwing the fourth it, uh, it doesn't bode well for me when I start going that down that route because I don't adjust well to that sort of stuff. But if I'm expecting, if I'm not expecting anything, and all of a sudden I'm going out there in the sixth, seventh, first, third, whatever inning, I can kind of go out there and just focus on that, which is uh, which I think is a huge difference for me this year. A's All-Star Liam Hendricks with us here on A's Cast Live from the Coliseum as the A's and White Sox here tonight. And for you, we, we see the production, we see the numbers. What do you see is the the biggest jump that you've made and in your involvement as a pitcher? Uh, I think the mentality of it all, which I was just talking about, was huge for me, but also my pitch repertoire. Um, looking into a little bit more of the numbers, I realized that my two-seamer was uh, relatively atrocious. So I kind of scrapped that idea and went back to the straight four-seam slider curveball thing, and it's uh, it's been working out well. I don't know if it's just – I always thought, like, movement is good. But uh, for me, it just—I think the life of my fastball, my four-seam fastball, is kind of uh, is better than the movement. So I've been going back to that and seem to be having some decent success. But I think my biggest thing is I'm throwing more strikes. I'm getting more swing and misses. So I think uh, talking to one of the guys from Houston, he goes, "We were always able to be able to tell when you were throwing a slider, not because you were tipping a pitch, 
but just the way it was like he goes it was really hard to describe but you could tell it when you saw it it was mainly just my kind of body language on the mound it wasn't as if i was like okay my glove is here my glove is three inches different or anything like that it was mainly as soon as i picked my leg up i almost had a little bit more intent on my slider than i did on my fastball and he goes this year you can't tell so it, that was always good to hear because every time you get a chance to uh make everything look exactly the same that's what you want and and certainly it's been a great run for you how much are you enjoying this ride right now with the way that you've been helping this team oh, it's been good i mean obviously um i'm trying to do my part and that's what it is but uh i'm not expecting anything going forward i mean we've got a, we had an all-star closer in blake trying last year had one of the best years in history so he's going to get a couple a couple good outings and come back out here and reclaim that ninth inning and i'll be whatever role they need me to whether it be a slop guy whether it be a multi-inning or whatever the thing they need um i'm just happy to be on the team and i'm just trying to do whatever we can to help us win and hopefully uh can claim a division title what was the most fun experience about the all-star game for you uh, I think it was the home run derby, just watching Vlad do his thing, and that was that was something special because every time we thought he was, oh, he's tired, he'd knock out another six, and it was just <laughs> a joke. So that was really cool. But I think obviously pitching in the pitching in the game was was I will always be by far my uh, my favorite moment, and going out there and uh, striking out the side, give or take, and little bit in the middle that I don't really remember but um, <laughs> the, the three strikeouts was something I'll always remember. So did you get some time at all to catch your breath the last couple of days to try to? Get a little downtime before jumping right back into the fray here tonight? Uh, no, because I was working with uh, Momentum Media, which is uh, Trevor Bauer's media company yeah. as well. So I was doing a thing with them about cyberbullying, and as soon as they found out that I made the All-Star team, they are like, hey, can we follow you around and do like a little video montage and do all this? So, I mean, there wasn't really downtime because when I was had the downtime, we were trying to get it aligned with them to try and do some stuff and get content going. And, uh, yeah, so I woke up Wednesday morning. I think Chapman's flight was 7.30 in the morning, and I said, not a chance in hell. <laughs> so I'm going to go at 4 o'clock. That's and a smart actually, veteran move. Yeah, I'm going to go at 4 o'clock. I don't mind getting in a little bit later, but that means I can kind of sleep in, enjoy myself, and that's what my wife and I did. We did a little bit of media stuff the next day, just recapping the, the couple of days, and, uh, and, yeah, we're out here now and just ready to get back in the, uh, in the, the second half of the season. And now, of course, I got to throw to James McCann, who's their catcher, so. That should be interesting when I have to, if I have to face him this series. Well, it's been a great season so far. Keep it going. Appreciate you stopping by. Congratulations again. Awesome to see how well you performed and great to see you at the All-Star Game earlier this week. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Liam Hendricks joining us on A's Cast Live, the A's All-Star reliever. We'll look to continue that great first half here as we start the second half tonight with the White Sox in town. It'll be Mike Fires for the A's and... It'll be Ivan Nova going for the White Sox. Justine Siegel will join us shortly here as we're on the field. White Sox taking batting practice right now on a beautiful Friday evening here in the Bay Area. Roxy Bernstein in for Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Our thanks again, the All-Star Liam Hendricks joining us here on the field, recapping his week and the experience going to Cleveland to represent the American League and the Oakland A's. At the All-Star game, A's cast live, Roxy Bernstein with you. A's and White Sox tonight, first pitch in about an hour and a half. Mike Fires, Ivan Nova to get the second half going tonight. And the A's looking up at the out-of-town scoreboard and seeing the Astros have gone in front of the Texas Rangers. Oh, no. We have a tie ball game. Live update, literally. The Rangers just homering to tie the game. Danny Santana with a home run, his 10th. Earlier, Shinsu Chu hit his 14th for Texas off Garrett Cole. 
Yuli Gurriel homering a two-run shot for the Astros is 15th. Gurriel's now hit seven home runs in the last seven games. He went into the break on a tear, hit six home runs over the final five games of the first half, and then had a slow night last night, but then tonight with a two-run shot. So it's 2-2, bottom two, where it's nice and sweltering in Arlington, Texas for game two of that four-game series between the Rangers and the Houston Astros. The Rays now up 10-2 as Renato Nunez is homered for the Orioles. So 10-2 Tampa Bay, fifth inning at Camden Yards. The Yankees a 1-0 lead on Aaron Sanchez and the Blue Jays bottom of the fifth at Yankee Stadium. The Indians have tied it on a Carlos Santana home run is 20th. 1-1 Nelson Cruz went deep earlier for the Twins. So that's 1-1 bottom four at Progressive Field. Just getting going. The Tigers are running the first at Kansas City. Later on, Seattle's at the Angels. Interleague play at Fenway, a 2-1 lead for the Red Sox over the Dodgers, fifth inning, as Rafael Devers, Christian Vasquez have homered for the Red Sox. Alex Verdugo, number 10 for the L.A. Dodgers. Over in the National League, Cody, you can plug your ears as the Pirates lose at Wrigley Field today, 4-3. The Cubs get it done. Seventh inning in Philadelphia, the Nationals still blanking the Phillies, 3-0. They are in the fourth in Miami, and the Fighting Fish have put up a four spot. The Marlins over the Mets, 4-2, top of the fourth inning. There, Curtis Granderson is homered for the Marlins in that ball game. Also, Cooper has gone deep for Miami, 4-2. They lead it. They are scoreless bottom of the second in Milwaukee. The Giants and the Brewers at Miller Park just underway. Second inning scoreless. The Diamondbacks in St. Louis with Daniel Ponce de Leon. I just love saying that name. Pinching for the Diamondbacks tonight. Starting in about five minutes in Denver, it's the Reds at the Rockies, and later on the Braves are in San Diego taking on the Padres. So a critical ball game for the A's tonight to keep that momentum going. And the A's with a great closeout to the first half, winning that series in Seattle. The A's have won seven of their last nine. 14 of their last 19, so 14 and 5 over those 19 games. To close out the first half, they've won each of their last four series, unbeaten over the last six series. And since they were swept by the Astros, they've gone 21 and 11 since June 2nd, which is the second best record in the American League. The Indians, the only team in the AL with a better mark during that stretch. So the A's will try to keep that going tonight. 50 wins at the All Star break, which is the Sixth best record in the American League, eighth best in the majors, but 50 wins. And one area the A's have excelled is against the American League Central this year. We've seen them dominate the Indians, and the A's still have a lot of baseball left against the Central. They just took two out of three from the Twins. The A's are 10-2 and two against the AL Central, and they've also averaged over six runs per game, and they have hit 25 home runs against the Central. That also includes that suspended game with the Tigers, which will be completed here in September, where the A's have the lead on Detroit. So that does, the stats include that. Of course, the record does not reflect it, considering that that game is not completed. But the A's, 10-2 and two against the AL Central, and they'll try to keep that going against the Chicago White Sox, who are in town tonight. And you go back to August of 2016, this is ridiculous how well the A's have performed against the American League Central. The A's have won 75% of their games against the AL Central since August of 2016. Oakland is 62-21 and 21 against the American League Central since August of 2016. 
And they're, again, an American League Central opponent tonight, opening a three-game series as Ace Cast Live continues from the Coliseum. Justine Siegel joins us next here from the field. A's and White Sox tonight as the A's open up the homestand tonight. Ace Cast Live continues on A's Cast. Now back to A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. We've had an all-star. We've had an all-star broadcaster join us. Now we have a groundbreaker joining us. Justine Siegel joining us here on A's Cast Live. Roxy Bernstein with you from the Coliseum. It's a pleasure to have you, Justine. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me. And you're a groundbreaker because you became the first woman to be a coach in professional baseball. Take us back to 2009 and when you were hired to work in independent ball with the Brockton Rocks. What was that? First off, what was the reaction when you got the phone call to join the team? Sure. Um, first, I started um, in collegiate ball with Springfield College. And then um, once I got that call to be able to go to Brockton Rocks, um, I mean, I was dancing in the car with my daughter, Jasmine. And um, How old was she at the time? She was 11. Okay. And then um, from there, you know, um, I asked Billy Bean if I could throw batting practice. I remember that. And um, it took him five seconds to say <laughs> yes. And that was back in 2011. And that was, like, an amazing feeling to mm -hmm. have know my dream was going to come true and, and to have his validation that I wasn't kind of crazy to have this idea of throwing MLB BP. So you did that, and then in 2015 you became the first woman to coach as well at a, at a professional level. But just your journey to get to that point and everything you've been through, and of course, you know, we're seeing it now. More and more women are getting opportunities. Do you see yourself as a pioneer? Do you look at it that you helped open the door for example, for a lot of women coaching in the NBA, we're seeing the NFL reach out to women. Do, do you view yourself in, in that way? Yeah, I mean, I know that being a first makes a difference. You know, I've always followed my passion, not the not the idea of wanting to be the first. You know, I've had a goal to coach uh, since I was 16. I've been working on that. I got a PhD in sports psychology so I could be the best coach I can be. Um, but I am aware that, you know, and I take it, I'm very humble, like humbly that I'm a role model to girls. And I want a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old to see me and say, hey, I can do this too. And you've certainly been able to do it. One of the more fascinating things for me is I followed you and your coaching with Team Israel. And what was that experience like on an international level in a team that had success? Yeah, I was with the team um, through Brooklyn in the mm -hmm. qualifier. And... Um, Dre Weinstein's the manager and just the, the coaching staff. I think we counted over 100 years of coaching experience and on our um, team, and it, it was incredible. Uh, the men were wonderful, and you just can't match. You know, having Israel across your chest can't match that, you know, that country feeling, that national feeling. And you were able to help them get, to, and then they had success, kind of caught a lot of people off guard. Did you expect them to do as well as they did once they got into pool play? You know, I wasn't surprised. The team was really well gel gelled, and uh, they had a common mission. And, and they played well. And, you know, like I said, Jerry Weinstein's incredible. And a couple of former A's were on that team, right? Sam Fold sure. was on the team. Nate Fryman was there. Yep. So I, re I remember Nate struck out once, and he, and he said, "What did I, you know, my job was to chart pitches. And he goes, what did I swing at? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty cool asking hey, As long as you knew. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he had to try to figure it out. But as long as you knew, that's all that Yeah, matters. he's such a great guy. He was, and he was a great part of some good A's teams back in the early part of this decade. So what's going on with you now? What, what uh, keeps you busy? Sure. Um, I founded a nonprofit called Baseball for All for girls who want to play, coach, and lead in baseball. Um, we are here this weekend in the East Bay. We have a um, 
a regional girls baseball tournament. So we have about 100 girls playing baseball from age 7 to 13. And just in three weeks, we'll have our national tournament with over 350 girls um, going all the way up to age 18. Where's that at? It's in Rockford, Illinois, the home of the Peaches. Rockford Peaches, sure. So it's pretty exciting. And basically, Baseball for All is providing opportunities for girls, you know, to start playing baseball with other girls. Many of the girls play with the boys, but we go into communities and we help them build girls' baseball programs. And here you have the East Bay Oaks, East Bay Hurricanes, San Francisco Bay Sox. I mean, it's just growing. What's the response that you get from people when you're out, whether you're speaking, whether you're involved with these events like you are what's the response that people come up to you and, and tell you you know i think a lot of people tell me that they're inspired um whether that's through me or just what you know watching what baseball for all does for girls i always tell everyone you know i'm just sort of like this really average person who had a lot of passion and determination and so everyone's dreams are possible because we we get to decide when we quit and we can if we want it we go after it now you founded a nonprofit as well a number of years ago. W was that your first avenue kind of in this direction? Um, I started baseball for all actually first as a girls team that played the boys in Cooperstown. And I realized if I could start a girls team, I could teach others to start the girls team. That's what you've seen here in the Bay Area. Um, so we, we switched from a girls team playing the boys to girls playing other girls. And you see just they feel so empowered and, and and they work almost harder because they want to be as good as their friend. And it's funny because m my daughter, she just turned 12, and she played baseball up until a couple of years ago, and then she quote-unquote retired. And I asked her, do you want to play softball? She's like, no, no, I, I like baseball more. I is that some of the response that you get from girls is they, they tend to like baseball a little bit more in softball? Yeah, definitely. Just like the boys, the, you know, they also have these baseball dreams. Uh -huh. And so they want to play baseball. And if they're not going to play baseball, a lot of them will just go to another sport. You know, some go to softball and then some just go to soccer and lacrosse. Mine chose basketball. To basketball. But we got to bring her back to baseball. I, I, I've all. tried. Believe me, it broke my heart, Justine, when she, reti she retired. And because she was pretty good. She could swing the bat. And I don't have the heart to tell my son this, but she was the better. She was the better baseball player. He's only nine, but at this stage, she was the better player. And she's probably hoping she's not listening. And neither is my son. But, um, but it's just the response, and I'm seeing more and more girls playing. And whether it's even in little league or events you're involved with, does that give you more sense of accomplishment when you see more and more girls that are active and want to play baseball? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was the only girl playing baseball. I was told to quit when I was 13. I had to fight everything I've ever done. And to know that girls are having an easier way of it, I mean, that's really the point, right? You know, it's an honor to make history, but it's much more important to build a better future. And, and that's what you're doing. And the response, I have to imagine, from these families in giving girls an opportunity and a chance to do something that they love and follow their passion. And how much are you seeing the growth in, in the events that you're at from let's say one year to the next, are you seeing a, a, a huge increase from year to year? Well, when we started our first national girls tournament, there was nothing like it, you know, in the in the country besides the, the Pawtucket Slaterettes were the first and only girls baseball league. So in 2015, we held the first. And since then, you know, we've tripled in size. There's over 30 girls, 30, 40 girls teams. MLB is now sponsoring three girls baseball events. Um, we've actually gotten a grant from the MLB, MLB uh, Players Association. So like, it's happening. Girls baseball is a thing and it's growing. And uh, it's really exciting to see that, you know, my granddaughter 
future granddaughter, please, <laughs> uh, you know, can just sign up. Maybe, just maybe you're like breaking news here. No, no, no. My, <laughs> my daughter's not quite there yet. But, you know, this, this idea that you could just sign up and play baseball and, and it not be the only girl. Just someone who loves baseball and they get to play whether they're a girl or boy. Justine Siegel with us here on A's Cast Live as the A's hosting the White Sox opening the second half tonight. We're on the field here at the Coliseum on a beautiful Friday evening. And Justine Siegel, the first woman to coach in Major League Baseball and the founder of Baseball for All. You can follow her on Twitter at Justine Baseball. And with all these opportunities now that you're creating, what's next for you? What's, what's the next step? What do you want to do to advance this even further? Well, we'll continue to grow programs around the country. I'm always looking for partners and for girls who want to play. They could just go to baseballforall.com. And personally, I'd love to get another coaching gig. Is David Forrest, is he listening, you think? Or yeah. Billy, you know, you can, can reach out for them. But how much fun did you have working with the A's when you did? Yeah, it was wonderful. I was in Instructs in 2015, and I couldn't have been treated better. And, you know, it was just phenomenal. You used to throw BP, hit fungos, just do whatever, carry the ball bucket, whatever it's going to do to help the team. What, what are some of the more fond memories you have of being with the A's back then. Does anything stand out, any moments for you in that opportunity to, to coach on uh, a Major League Diamond? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, again, I was with Instructs, but I remember one of the players came and talked to me. He was having trouble hitting, and he didn't go to the other pro coaches. You know, there's eight other men there he could have asked, and instead he came to me, and he felt comfortable with me, and, and that made me feel good. And, you know, after our talk, he went hit a home run and a double, so that <laughs> – were you the first one to high-five him when he got back yep, to the dugout? Yep, yep that helps. Uh, big smiles there. Um, I was uh, in instructs when Sky Bolt was there. Okay. So pretty exciting to see him and what he's doing now. So you got this event going on this weekend. And, and again, how can people find out more information about it? Yeah, just go to our website, baseballforall.com, and we'll connect you here to the teams. Um, it's the B East Bay Oaks are the ones sponsoring the tournament. Um, but there is girls' baseball programming here in the Bay Area, and so any girl – who loves the game could come and play. Well, it's great. I mean, I might have to, uh, if my daughter wasn't leaving town on Sunday, maybe I'd get her back in. But at some point, I do want to get, because she, she had such a pretty swing. She really did. She could hit. Justine, appreciate the time. Thank you. Great to see you. Congratulations on all the success and all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Justine Siegel joining us here on A's Cast Live as we're leading you up until the A's and the White Sox here at the Coliseum tonight. It is the opener of the second half where the A's will send Mike Fires to the mound tonight as he'll try to continue on what he was doing. Mike Fires was pitching tremendously to close out the first half. It got a little off to a little bit of a rough start, but he's on a six-game winning streak. And during the last 11 starts, Mike Fires has put up a 2.31 ERA. And, of course, everybody remembers the no-hitter he threw here against the Cincinnati Reds. And that was right in the thick of this run that he has been on. And he has been stellar, especially here at the Coliseum with an ERA sub-3 here at home all season. So Mike Fires makes a start against Ivan Nova of the Chicago White Sox. And the A's catching a break. No Lucas Giolito in this series. Tim Anderson on the injured list. So the A's catching a little bit of a break with the White Sox in an opportune time to take advantage of that, in an opportune time to keep it going, the momentum the A's have had to close out the first half. And as we all know, this has been a strong second-half team. That's been the A's calling card, and Bob Melvin knows that. And this team is well aware of that as well as they get hot at the right time. It's up to them to keep it going here heading down the stretch. Updating you on some scores, the Astros have gone back in front of the Rangers. It's 3-2 Houston, bottom of the third in Arlington. The Twins now trail the Indians 3-1. Cleveland out in front of Minnesota, fifth inning at Progressive Field. 
The Yankees a 4-0 lead, a four-run fifth against the Blue Jays there in the sixth at Yankee Stadium. Tampa continues to hammer Baltimore 11-2. The Rays lead that one. Interleague play Boston in the sixth, leading the L.A. Dodgers by a score of 2-1. Coming up, we'll have the A's pregame for you. That will start at 6.05 here from the Coliseum. It'll be Vince Catronio, Ken Korak, and me bringing you through that. We'll hear from the skipper, Bob Melvin. Vince Catronio will stop by as well. And uh, also I'll chat with the captain, Ken Korak, and we'll hear from Liam Hendricks on the pregame show, the A's All-Star who joined us here on A's Cast Live. And just recapping his experience, what a great week it's been for him. And in a lot of ways, an improbable story. So Liam Hendricks, we'll talk with him about his All-Star experience coming up on the pregame show. And then, of course, after the ball game, A's Clubhouse Live will be with me right here from the Coliseum as the A's open up the second half tonight against the Chicago White Sox. Thank you to everybody, our guests who joined us, Justine Siegel here, as well as Mike Aldretti, the All-Star Liam Hendricks, Jason Benetti, and Vince Catronio as well. Good job, Cody. Everybody here, thank you very much. A's and White Sox, 6.05, we'll start the pregame. A's cast live tonight, and my pleasure to be with you. The A's and Sox tonight here from the Coliseum. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.